Good morning, everyone. Just thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. I guess uh, Glenn is the person I really need to thank who's not here. Uh, Glenn and I do go back at least 12 years, so I'm hoping that there's um, some kind of trust and comfort there to leave your church to someone while you're off and about. I know Luke didn't get home until 4 in the morning. Glenn had to go pick them up after grad. So we're excited for that. So hopefully I will honor him. I will honor the house and the Lord. And worse comes to worse, I'm going to preach a whole lot of heresy, and they're going to have months of cleanup to do after. But either way, uh, I'm really in an interesting season of life right now, and I think it's important to know where people are coming from, whether that's you're going online, you're going to read an article, please, for the love of all things, find out who they are, their spectrum, what they think, the season that they're in themselves. But also for the people that we get to have stood in front of us uh, from time to time. Uh, my wife and I have just moved here three months ago. Uh, you, your church has been amazing in receiving us. Uh, you brought us up here for prayer and support. Uh, we pray that you continue to pray for us as we plant a church in West Kelowna. Um, this is something that we ourselves 18 months ago swore we would never do. So it just goes to show you that God has a different plan and just how quickly he can also move in his plan. Um, and we've been so blessed to be able to uh, kind of reinvigorate our relationship with Glenn and Sarah to be here with you guys week to week. And I just want to say, like, I, I appreciate so much the spirit of worship that's here week to week, regardless of who's on the team. It's been absolutely amazing to come and be able to worship with you guys because, honestly, we get to bring some of our people uh, from Vintage Church, our little fledgling thing, because I think me and acoustic guitar and our Bible study on a Thursday night would be, like, the f- killing blow to the church. We, that would not help us launch into what I think the Lord has for us next. So it's great to be able to come here, center under Pastor Glenn's teaching. I'll maybe try to channel him. I'll drop my T's as I speak, and we'll, we'll maybe feel like he's here with us in spirit. Um, but really, you know, uh, as we begin to plan this and go over this in the, over the last week, it's just interesting. We were here two weeks ago, um, and Glenn was speaking on the second coming of Christ and, and got to this, this shocking part for a pastor's heart, and really, I believe, for anybody who loves the Lord, of of how the overwhelming majority, 100% almost, uh, shares the Lord with almost zero people. And that we kind of get into this faith, we find this love and this, uh, just this amazing transformation in Christ Jesus, and I don't think we largely know what to do with it after that. So, obviously being in a church planting period of life, uh, this is something that has just been grafted into our DNA far more than we could have ever imagined. And the lost, those who are broken, those who are disenfranchised, it's just, it's just the, the beat of our hearts. But quite frankly, unfortunately, you know, here we are stepping out to do this, this great thing, this great work in the kingdom, and, and we quickly realize we're not doing anything special as church planters. We're just simply being Christians. And the Lord's given us this one extra little mandate to kind of group people together around a common vision, maybe a common methodology. It's just how a, a tribe kind of does things together. But essentially, we're all called to the same ministry, that every member of the kingdom is called to share Jesus with absolutely everybody. Now, I'm pretty sure if you know, we were to do a quick poll in the room, we'd all say, yes, we all desire that everybody would be saved. That's God's heart, right? Everybody should be saved. It's at least a desire, whether that's the, the playing out, his grand purpose, depending on which camp you guys kind of land in. Um, that, that's his desire, And I find and I think it's almost impossible to draw closer to Jesus Christ without having a heart and a love that grows for other people. So as much as we could all probably say this morning, yeah, you know what, we do want everybody to get saved. I think if we were to be very honest with ourselves, there's people we're not comfortable with. Whether that be socially, whether that be culturally, 
whether it be age, I'm not quite sure. But if we're quite honest, there's, there's people who definitely, if I were to say, why haven't you reached out to so-and-so, you'd probably go, well, I'd have a difficulty because of A, B, C, and D. And I'm not saying that that's not important, and I'm not saying that that isn't something for us to work through. But I think we need to understand that there might be some discomfort for us, that we are to follow in Christ's footstep. There may have been some discomfort for him in the cross, in his ministry to us. So this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that you know, I've read a thousand times, but in this season of life has really transformed um, just my view of who Jesus is. And, and at bare minimum, we can just see this morning just how tender Christ is. If we can just see how loving he is and, and take that with us, uh, I think we're in a good place. But I really believe by the Holy Spirit there's so much more. First, let's pray, because if, if the Holy Spirit's not leading me, if he's not giving you ears to hear, we're in a hopeless mess this morning. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to know what you would have for us to take from this place today. That for every single person here, you have a plan, and that's not cliche. For every single person here, you have something for them to take away. Lord God, we thank you that you are busy by your spirit to make your children look like your son. And we desire that. We desire you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. A reading from John chapter 4. I'm going to read a, a large portion of scripture, and then we'll kind of chew up pieces of it as we discuss this morning. Starting in verse 1, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for, uh, for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near a field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, worried as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, if you have, nothing to dr- you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep, where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give, uh, that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will, be, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She's very smart. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where the people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Hold on, we're not done. We're going to keep going here. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and they were coming to him. I'm actually just going to stop right there. Um, I have found it very easy to read scripture and check off my reading list for the day. Yeah, I remember being very challenged as a young man at a youth camp by a speaker that we had to, to learn how to sit down in Scripture. Uh, for you who don't know, Vintage Church, that's, that's kind of our name. You know, we all got to kind of put, put something on the side of the building and, and kind of align ourselves to something. But it really comes out of the last several years of, of preaching to our young adults and to our congregation and to our youth and realizing again and again and again that God is constantly interacting with people. And when we go to the Old Testament, when we go to the New Testament, we're seeing the lives of people. And because of those, way, because of those stories, and because of the way that God interacts with them, we begin to know who He is. That we can see who He is in the dealings with Adam and Eve at the very beginning when we have this fall. We see and there's that faithfulness there. There's the curse, and right in that is the first gospel, that there is a seed of the woman that's coming. We can see all these things through Moses, that here's a guy who's just insufficient and incompetent, and God gives him a rod, and, and off he goes in God's grace. And he becomes this deliverer. We see in Joseph, here's a plan that just doesn't look human at all. And for decades, the story is going wrong for him, but we see it's the deliverance of a, an entire nation, and then some. So, for our own lives, and even as we approach Scripture this morning, there's the necessity to read something and realize that we only process things linearly. There's things at the beginning that seem quite inconsequential. Scripture only puts things in there if we need to know them. And specifically, if it seems inconsequential, it's very much not. So I just want to take a little bit of time and, and kind of go why at least this has impacted me in this season. You know, this is a passage I've heard preached a ton. I don't think I've ever spoken on it myself. Uh, but there is an amazingly beautiful and tender Christ that's in this that just rocks me to my core when I begin to think of the lost, when I begin to think of those people that are difficult for me to talk to, those people that are difficult for me to share my faith with. Uh, in verse 7 and 9 here, we have this beautiful encounter. It's absolutely flooring to me what's happening here. A woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink his disciples had gone away into the city. The Samaritan said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? Now, if you've been in church at any point in time, uh, you've probably learned that Jews and Samaritans just don't hang out. And then there's a whole other cultural divide between men and women and all that kind of stuff. So, like, well, that's there. If you didn't know, now you know. But we really need to actually kind of sit down and imagine what's happening here. Because it's not just a matter of a conversation that shouldn't happen and isn't Jesus-loving but understanding the depths and what's possibly happening in this woman's life. So we know it's the sixth hour, it's the middle of the day, and, and this is showing us that there, there's a brokenness that's here. And it's not a brokenness where you don't know that there's sin in your life, you don't know that you're far from God, you don't know that you're outside of the cultural norms of, of people who are, are trying to seek God. But what we have here is a woman who has so altered her life and so altered her plan that she's now going 
to the well at a specific time of day so that she can avoid everybody else from town. That she knows that the life that she's living is broken. So before we even get to Jesus going, hey, where's your husband? There's a twisted and broken life full of shame that is walking up the hill to the well. So it's not a surprise for her to see that there might be travelers there in the heat of the day passing by. It is a surprise to her what begins to happen shortly after her arrival. So I can only imagine her heading out, not wanting to be a person to bump into other people, expecting to not see people from the town who probably have had plenty of ripe things to say about her over the years. And as she approaches, she sees someone's there and, and quietly starts to prepare herself. Okay, there's going to be someone there. They're getting water. I'm getting water. Fine. The closer she gets, you can see that it's a man. Okay, we've got to deal with that. And horribly, as she gets closer, you can start to see kind of regionally where this person's from. And this is, in fact, a Jewish male. So for someone who spends and has organized their life to hide, this is now just an uncomfortable circumstance, but she'll probably make it through. But this beautiful encounter is, is, starts with the shattering of that, that something completely unexpected happens. And I think for many people, this might not be your story, but I know a lot of people in their lives, there's an unexpected encounter with Christ. And that's when everything begins to shift. And, and may I be so bold to say this morning, that both within the church and for Christians speaking to people who are outside of the kingdom, who are talking to people who just haven't quite crossed Christ in their life, haven't maybe processed that, had the option to, or maybe have run for it from him, that there is a shocking shattering of a moment when there is someone reaching out when the conversation is unexpected. If there's people in your workplace who know that like you love the Lord, you're fallen that you, know, you just kind of look different. And in the middle of their shameful walk, in the middle of their, I'm just trying to get through the day, there is something that jars them from that. Are we so surprised that she actually responds? She doesn't have to. But there is an, an immediate response. There's something that just jars her in this beautiful encounter. So she's gone from a, a life of avoidance in, in this day to literally beginning to look at what is happening in front of her. And she ga- engages in this conversation. Now, we're not a people, we're not a culture of what's clean and unclean. You know, we, we see that really set up in the Jewish culture. I mean, and God asked them to do that. We're supposed to understand that there is a rightness, there's a consecration, there are things that are set apart, there's right and wrong, there's holy and unholy. Light and dark, all, all those things. So as far as she is concerned, as far as he is concerned, this interaction is already wrong. But also what he even says is absolutely wrong. Not the fact that he's speaking to her, but the fact that he says, give me a drink. It just escalates this. Because now he's talking to a defiled person asking for essentially what would have been culturally defilement. You give me your water. That would have been not just a no-no, but that like most, uh, most people, most Jews that were spiritually haughty would avoid this place and take the road that would take them an extra half a day because you wouldn't even want to be there. But now he's entering not into just a conversation with someone, but an act that would have considered a defilement of his person before God. And again, we know where he's going. We know he's going to bring up husbands. We, he obviously knows 
what's going on and who she is. And yet she's met with tenderness. She's met with acceptance. And it's not a matter of what is wrong, but rather who it is that's speaking to her. Because when we begin to look at what's right and what's wrong, what's clean and unclean, we have this, this promise, this gift of God that he gives her. He says, if you knew who was talking to you, you would have asked for the gift of God, and it would be like a life spring, this living water that comes for you. From uh, chapter 7, 38, 39, we see that this is the promise of the Holy Spirit. The gift of God is God himself indwelling in us, and it blesses us, and it blesses those around us. And it, essentially, it just comes down to this. Your water cannot defile his. Your life is, and your sin is not greater than his power, his grace, his love, his mercy. It's God who sets apart. It's God who makes things holy. It's God who says what will be, and we need to get into the step with that. And again, maybe some of those people that we have a really hard time engaging with have a life that we're just not comfortable with. Maybe, just maybe, uh, we're a little too concerned with their brand of sin. Yet I think, honestly, we all know we have our own. And those might be seasonal. Those might be something that are generational. Got that from mom and dad. Maybe we're passing that on. But we're very good at justifying what we do and very good at cutting off other people based off of who they are, where they are, what they do, what they don't do, even to this day. I find it absolutely shocking and, and regrettable that a lot of the sins that we see in, in, in Judaism, in, in Scripture, as far as their cutting off of people, their holding off of people, uh, is really still in the same heart of God's believers to this day. That we've been given something absolutely amazing and we hold back on it. So let's look at it this way. In the Old Testament, the chosen people was Israel. And they were to point to God, they were to be exalted by God, that people would see them and, and be forced to see God. That I can see how blessed they are and there must be a God who's doing these things. You know, they would move into certain areas and it would be, we have heard what the God of Israel has done and we know that he's the Lord, right? So there's a blessing that's there. Now, there was never a mandate to not bring people into that. There was cleanliness and uncleanliness. But we do have several times in the Old Testament where people are brought in and made part of the nation of Israel. Some of them make it into the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Yet today as the church where it's gone from a called nation to called people, I think sometimes we still fall into the same tracks where we're just trying to take care of us and ours, maybe our church and our volunteer hours. And yet, though we've shifted from a come-see faith to a go-tell faith, the go-tell might not be there as much as, as we really, I think, really desire it to be. I think we're just really good at freaking out. I think we're really good at going, this could go bad. May I just submit this morning that maybe culturally, right now, Kelowna, 2017, bad isn't that bad. Right? There's other parts of the world, it goes bad. Here, maybe not so much. And I think when we risk, I think when we allow the Lord to begin to move, there's nothing like that. There's nothing like being able to share with someone whether they come to the Lord or not. And when they do, man, it just absolutely rocks you to the core because that's what we are called to do. I think much of the frustration that we have sometimes as Christians is because we've got this faith and you know we're, we're wearing it so proudly and we're happy with it. But there's the other half, which is we've been brought into a family where God is the Father 
and he is busy about the redemption of mankind. So we've entered into a family business and we're not at work. And we're not seeing that come to pass. So as much as Jesus here should be concerned with cleanliness as a cultural Jew, it also, he also understands being God, that he is the God who redeems, that he is the God who brings life, that he brings the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now, as ambassadors of Christ, as joint heirs with Christ, as children of the living God, we have that same opportunity by his spirit to share and by his spirit for people to have life that they would have that same spring of living water within them that would just change everything. Now, I think, I, I think this conversation, what we see with Jesus, like it should have said something negative about him, but absolutely for us today, you know, we got 2,000 years of lenses to look through. You know, it's a lot easier for us. And we can see it absolutely does say something about the character of God. But I think it's very different to then apply it to our lives where we're the one risking the conversation, where everybody else in the church might be going, are you crazy? Because unfortunately, not everybody's going to agree when we reach different people. There's entire ministries where I'm like, are you kidding me? That's a real ministry? I was in the States uh, talking with a friend, and um, there's one that in Central America rescues um, women from sex trades, like slavery. And they do it by leaving their secret base that nobody knows, <laughs> driving in vans, kicking in doors. Uh, they may have some firepower with them, dragging these women out. And then I'm just like, that's a ministry? Because sign me up. No, I'm kidding. Like, that is not anywhere near what I could ever consider. Is it right? I don't know. Maybe. That's for them to figure out that's so far beyond my world of, of, of how I've experienced things. But there are people who are broken and hurting in so many different ways. And, and let's be honest, probably not as extreme a measure is going to be taken by anybody here to go and do that. But we have a God who, who risks seeming defiled. You know, the Lord who is the drunkard, the glutton, and yet was just ministering to people. Who started to become called names by other people who thought they knew what was best, who thought they knew what was clean, who thought they knew what was right. Just possibly, God in us is going to be bigger and more beautiful and life-giving and healing than the sin that's in that person. I just encourage you guys to, to address the pers- person and not the issue. Let God get to the issue, you address the person. So what happens is we have this life in him that comes up and honestly, you know, she doesn't get it right. She starts saying, like, where's this water? You don't have a bucket. The well is deep and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, and you read some commentaries and like, well, we think it was this deep at this time. This, you know, sure, fine, who cares? The whole thing is this. Let us be absolutely honest. Okay? Because she gets it later, but she doesn't get it here. And I think the key difference is Jesus makes absolutely no sense until you know who he is. Because we like to sit in church and go, man, how did they miss this stuff? But quite frankly, I have to ask myself, if I was standing in the crowd and Jesus is uttering the words, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, I don't think he would have got much past that and I would have been like, I'm out. This guy is wackadoo. Like, so much of what he says isn't just like, I'm not a first century Jew, I don't get it. It's, he sounds crazy. But if you all of a sudden you begin to see the miracles, if all of a sudden you begin to see his heart that doesn't make sense, 
because he's loving weird people in weird places and weird ways. And life tra- is being transformed. And cities are being transformed. And you get to that place where you can then utter, my God and my Lord. Then everything after that was wackadoo now makes sense. So we have to give her a little bit of space here when she's going like, I want water. I don't want to have to come back here every day. I have to hide from everybody. Like, this would be great for me. I need that kind of water. But it's later that it's revealed, well, you know, you're saying all these things, but you believe that this Messiah is coming. That's me. That's me. And then we see the result of this, which I, this is kind of the whole point that I really want to get to here is the beautiful shift that happens. There is a beautiful, uh, just upheaval in this woman's life. I'm just going to read here for a moment just to remind us. So the disciples been out. They're out trying to get some food. They come back. There's Jesus doing weird stuff again, talking to people he shouldn't be talking to again. And we run into this, uh, this little bit here. Uh, just then the disciples came back and they marveled at what the woman was saying, or that he was talking with this woman. They didn't say anything. So the woman left her water jar and went away to a town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went over the town and were coming to him. I'm going to read this verse 28 again. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they all left the town and were coming to him. This has been messing me up for ever. And hopefully a really good way. There is this weird, unexpected, shocking, beautiful encounter where she's like, what's going on? But engages. The disciples are all confused. And it comes up that he starts to say, you know what, go tell your husband. I, I don't I actually don't have a husband. Deflect. Anybody deflect with God ever? I don't have a husband. Deflect. That's right, you don't have one. You've actually had five. And the one you're with right now isn't even your husband. Like, you know, Scripture gets into some detail and it doesn't get into some detail. So, Obviously, we don't need to know this, but we can imagine sitting down in Scripture. So she's either got a thing for guys who kind of look sickly to start off with, so she's just kind of been going through husbands because she just has a thing for guys who are sick. You know, at minimum. At worst, she's a serial killer, and the sixth guy's in a lot of trouble, and Jesus has come at the right time. So, like, Scripture's not entirely clear on this. But what we know is whatever she's in, she is aware of her sin, the town is aware of her sin, Jesus is aware of her sin, right? And now they're sitting down and having a conversation. And now it's revealed that he is Christ. That he is the Messiah. And then we arrive here. She leaves her water jar. She runs to the town. And says, come see a man who told me all I ever did. You see the shift? She has been avoiding everybody. Sometimes we think in ourselves, not just that we can't go to a certain person, but that we are insufficient to serve the Lord. That I don't know enough, never went to Bible school, I haven't been to small group in six months, I, I wouldn't know what to say if someone asked me a really deep question. 
We are very quick to discount ourselves and totally miss the parts of Scripture. Maybe it's because we don't know enough. <laughs> he does it. It's his story, his son, his people, his gospel, our salvation, his glory, so that no man would boast. He does it. Do you honestly think you can prepare enough to know what to say to someone in a given moment? Do you know what's in their minds when they go to bed at night and shut off the lights and they're alone? Do you know the, the, the predispositions they have? Do you know the anger? Do you know the hurt? Do you know the things that are stirring in their minds that moment and they ask a question? Jesus always just replies in a question, which is really annoying, but brilliant. Do you, do you really think that you're going to be able to nail it in an argument and you give them the spiritual algebra and then, oh, it's Jesus? No. You know, I'm talking in defense, and so much more, I think, it goes into just talking in defense. You have Luke 12, 12. Like, in that moment, the Holy Spirit's going to tell you. So here's a, here's a woman who's been hiding in shame, who's completely insufficient, and who isn't even liked by the people in town. And yet she left that town and walked to the well in shame that morning. And after a brief, shocking, beautiful interaction with Christ that was completely unexpected, runs back to the smack dab center of town and begins to proclaim her shame. Begins to go, this horrible thing that you know, that you have judged, that I'm trying to hide from you guys. And we all know it's not working. Do you know this thing? And through that very thing, Jesus is glorified. Through that very thing, he is pointed to. So it's not a matter so much of are we sufficient or are we insufficient, but even in all those broken and busted things and those seasons of life where you're like, what on earth am I going through this for? Whether as a non-believer or as a believer, when you're hurting, when you're broken, when everything is falling apart, not only is he a God who is good to, to draw you near, to heal and to restore, but those beautiful scars, when Jesus comes back and goes, Look at this. And there's a doubting Thomas. And he gets a bad rap for that because he doubts. And Jesus says, come near and see these things. Those hurts, those trials, those scars are used to draw people to God. For some people, you may have experienced this already. For some of you, you may have redeemed marriages. There's a guy who spent a, a bunch of days on the, on the island with and... and his marriages are just a mess. Things got just flipped upside down. Guess what they do now? Christian marriage counseling, right? Does that get rid of the hurt? Does that get rid of the memories? Well, the hurt's been removed in a holy capacity. It does not get rid of the memories. But now there's life for others that comes. There's glory that points to Christ because of those seasons that they went through. You think of any form of addiction. You think of any form of abuse. And again and again and again. And stories will probably come to mind about how God redeems people and their circumstances, and their journey, and their process. And here we have a woman who's broken in shame and cut off from an entire group of people and within a moment becomes the missionary. And then within a moment, there's a response and people become to come out. And yes, they get their own faith. And yes, they begin to see who he is and what he does. And there's a shift in their lives after a beautiful encounter. But this morning, I can't encourage you enough to go, there's a God who both calls us to go and love people in the weirdest, broken ways, and yet we don't need to be sufficient. You are actually insufficient. You're designed to need Him, be plugged into Him, be filled by Him. That's the whole point. It's the beautiful journey. 
And even if this morning you're sitting here broken and a mess, there's an encounter that can change everything because of His living water, because of His holiness, because of His plan and consecration of you. I think He's just so crazy. I think He's so amazing. And again, if all we can get here is that there's a, a beautiful God, then great, but there's so much more to it than that. I love that when you read the Gospels, um, Jesus is just amazing at pulling out the individual. Here we have one person that comes up. Great. A whole lot of times when he's working with people, when he's talking with people, when he's performing miracles, we zone in on this one person that God's interacting with. But if we remember, we were just set up into this story, into this interaction of, and Jesus was being tra- you know, traveling around with just droves of people around him. Yet in the middle of the crowd, he will identify that one person to take time and sit down and love and to redeem and ultimately to bring to a place of faith. That's amazing. I pray that you guys are encouraged that you don't need to know what it looks like to talk to your neighbor, but you need to talk to your neighbor. I'm not a big guy like, let's preach hell and all that kind of stuff. I'm Pentecostal. I was trying to get again to... Glenda put a tent outside and we could do this out there and I get a hanky and we could have gone like mad wild. Wasn't having it. Um, but like, this is not a turn or burn. This is, I, honestly, I keep saying this to everybody. My wife's probably tired of hearing me saying the things, but like, I want to write a book called To Hell With Heaven and I don't mean To Hell With Heaven. What I mean with it is this. Jesus Christ is so incredibly sufficient now in this age here. Do not wait or rob yourself from heaven on earth. The kingdom of God is a hand and has come near. And we're not going to experience it in its full uh, glory here. But I can just tell you right now this morning, if you have not received the Lord, if you haven't seen Jesus as King Jesus, as Lord Jesus, as Savior Jesus, He is completely sufficient. If there were no heaven, I would be up here today saying, there is no better life in this world than a life with Christ but being eternal. Heaven's eternal. Being eternal and creating us in his image, we're benefactors of that as well. My prayer for us this morning as we, as we wrap up and worship, as we, you know, the, the altar's always open for prayer afterwards, I encourage you just to ask the Lord to, to show you who, how, risk it, eat good food, I mean, that's pretty much the only plan we have for our church right now. What do you do? We do a lot of barbecues. What do you do? We entertain four or five nights a week. Why? Because people are awesome, and Jesus loves them, and he will draw them into him. we just got to be present, because I'm not going to know what to say. I'm not going to know what to do. But if I can stop and talk to someone who thinks that maybe they're not worth talking to, that just maybe, even in the middle of their brokenness, the Holy Spirit will so leverage that to not only change their life, but to declare who He is back to us and to the rest of the community. Let's pray.